Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyhot. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. To them and their posterity will we commit our future. They will continue the voyages we have begun and journey to all the undiscovered countries, boldly going where no man, where no one, has gone before. Hello and welcome to Trek FM's dedicated Star Trek The Next Generation podcast, Earl Grey. I'm one of your new co-hosts, Lee Hutchison, and I'll be joined by Richard Marquez and Amy Nelson. However... Before we introduce ourselves, we want to pay tribute to the original Earl Grey team and the amazing work they've done. We truly are standing on the shoulders of giants as we begin our shift, on the ship they built from scratch, and history will never forget the names Daniel, Darren and Philip. Earl Grey's run of 154 episodes built up a huge and passionate audience, and we hope you'll join us on this trek through the stars too. So let's see what's out there. So, Amy, Richard, welcome to Earl Grey. Thank you, Lee. I am so very excited and a little nervous because, uh, yeah, Earl Grey is what got me onto Trek FM, but I'm very happy to be here. And yourself, Richard, you're a bit of a a regular behind the scenes here on Trek FM as well? I am, actually. Uh, Yeah, uh, from there to here, uh, periodically on the 602 Club, um, haven't made it to any of the other show. Well, no, that's not true. Actually, I made it onto Melodic Trek as well with Brandon. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely um, been busy. <laughs> yeah, and we're about to get a whole lot busier. That I think we've we've all felt the pressure and excitement about this new team that we've been announced about a month ago, and we've had, we've been so busy trying to get the time together to launch this first episode, and the amount of ideas we've batted back and forth about how we're going to launch our first episode. That we spoke about maybe doing a traditional introduction episode, telling you about us, our history with Trek, but we thought we'd come out all guns blazing. And there's a certain anniversary this month in November as we're recording that we just couldn't ignore the 20th anniversary of Star Trek First Contact. So we've decided for our first episode we're going to look back at November 1996 and the release of Star Trek First Contact, how we felt at the time, what we thought in the build-up to the movie, and then coming back into the future and wondering what Star Trek First Contact's legacy is 20 years on. So let's dive into 1996. Oh, uh, yeah. 20 years ago was a long time ago. Just one uh, mention, a Star Trek uh, note, uh, is that Mark Leonard, uh, or known as Sarek in TOS and TNG, and also the Romulan commander in the uh, TOS Balance of Terror, passed away on this day. Uh, movies in the theater, uh, 101 Dalmatians was in uh, the theater at this time, which was considered the most uh, viewed movie of uh, of the year. Space Jam, uh, English Patient, Romeo and Juliet, the Leonardo DiCaprio version. Uh, and yeah, I was 14 at that time. <laughs> so yeah, the, um, definitely a long time ago. On, on that day also, uh, O.J. Simpson takes a stand as hostile witness in his wrongful death lawsuit filed against him, saying it is absolutely untrue uh, for the... For the trial, uh, for the murder trial of Nicole Simpson, uh, that was one of the that was the biggest news item of the day, and yeah, it looks like that's a, pretty much about it. Yeah, November ninety six. Obviously, it was Star Trek was celebrating its thirtieth um, anniversary as well in nineteen ninety six. So there was a lot of pressure kind of coming out of Star Trek First Contact for that. We think of the fiftieth this year, we got Star Trek Beyond, and the thirtieth we got Star Trek First Contact. The twenty fifth we got the Undiscovered Country. So let's kind of go back to nineteen ninety six. That you know, Amy, tell us kind of. What was your first news that you picked up about First Contact? Do you remember maybe the trailer, for example, the first shots of the Enterprise, maybe hearing about the Borg? What were your memories of the build-up to that release in 1996? 
Well, unfortunately, I wasn't uh, that involved in Star Trek as I am now. And so I really got into Star Trek in 2000. So, But I do remember seeing it in the theaters. I just, uh, in preparation for this, watched the, the two trailers. And, man, the trailers were really, really good. And one thing I thought was funny was they always showed, like, Jordy's eyes, you know, because now he no longer has a visor. And so that was really cool. But it's so funny because it doesn't really play that large of a part in the storyline but yet it's in both of the trailers so that was pretty funny <laughs> but the build-up for it uh on the trailers is just magnificent the shots that they have and the lines that they chose to put in the trailers is really really good and just makes me want to go see the movie even though i just saw it last week <laughs> what about yourself richard what do you remember of the build-up to 1996's first contact well uh when i was uh, when this movie came out, I was 14 years old, uh, just about to start high school. Actually, I did start high school, I should say, because the school year started in August. And I, I, re- I was just like I was telling uh, Amy offline. I was te- telling her about my experience uh, of, of the first viewing uh, for for this movie, and I, I mean, I can remember like it was yesterday. I mean, watching the movie actually, funny enough, today, uh, and. Just, just some of the some of the things that uh, that happened uh, during the movie, like the uh, like the reaction of of Worf when uh, when Picard was about to get crushed by the assimilated uh, Lieutenant Hawk, uh, and you, you just see all of a sudden you see him get blasted by a, a phaser rifle, and you see Worf. And then, of course, you know he's he's got the he's got the um, the cord from the board. He just you know killed with his uh, with his sword or or knife or or whichever whatever it is. And it, I I just remember like it was yesterday, like everyone cheering, and everyone was out of their seats because it was it was that it was it was that awesome of a scene. And uh, one of the most one of the most emotional parts of that was the ending uh, when Picard talked to. Um, Lily, <laughs> uh, that uh, I envy you uh, on the journey uh, that you're going to make, and it's just. And I remember actually uh, shedding a tear over that because it was like it was so beautiful, but not as beautiful as when the Enterprise E comes out from the very first time out of that nebula. It was. I mean, I mean, because you didn't see it in the trailers. All you saw was the Enterprise D. Obviously, we saw the uh, the big D, uh, you know, crash landed and everything and, and was destroyed. But we never saw anything about the E at all whatsoever. Now, whether or not that was on purpose or whether or not it wasn't ready, I don't know. But uh, you know, seeing seeing her coming out of that nebula was fantastic. <laughs> I can't even tell you how awesome that was. And, you know, just everyone cheering for it because it was that awesome of a time. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can certainly relate to a lot of what you guys are saying there, for example, because um, I was nine years old when this movie came out. And I was, I this was the first Star Trek movie I got to see on the big screen. Despite the fact I'd been a Star Trek fan for a good few years by this point, that I unfortunately missed Star Trek Generations on the big screen because I had diarrhea that day. So Generations, sadly, was a movie I had to miss out on. So when First Contact came around, that what it was like in the UK at the time was very, very different. We didn't have what's kind of with PG-13 in America where you can take any kid on the planet through to see an, an adult movie. If you're too young, you're too young. So I had to miss out on seeing, you know, Generation. So there was a lot of pressure on First Contact. And I was a bit crushed when I found out it was going to be rated 12. So I was kind of far too young to be seeing this. I was worried um, this is going to be another Star Trek movie I'm going to have to miss on the big screen. And I was taken to the cinema by my dad and my best friend from primary school, Colin. So we took a 35-mile journey after primary school one day all the way to the Odeon Cinema in Aberdeen. And I always remember going into the foyer and those Star Trek First Contact posters everywhere. They had posters arranged so that it would look like this, the Enterprise itself. It was it was just awesome. That poster of the Enterprise warping away to Earth with the board cube just behind it. I mean, my hype going into this movie was astronomical because, like yourselves, I'd seen the trailers. And if anyone's not revisited them in many a year, they're really worth checking out because for the Generations First Contact, 
attacked in insurrection trailers, there's a ser- serious amount of using of next generation footage because CGI and animation was it was such a slow process at the time that a lot of those action shots, like you were saying, the Enterprise are missing from the movie. So they put in shots of you know the a Reliant class ship appearing in cause and effect. You had the Enterprise D warping away um, from the exploding. Uh, starship and all good things you had a lot of reuse of images so there's even one of USS Voyager firing weapons at the Borg ship that's always always frustrated me when I went into cinema I was like where's that shot so there was a huge amount of hype for me going in to see this movie and the fact that it was my first Star Trek movie and the kind of emotional moment for me wasn't so much firstly seeing the Enterprise, it was that beautiful Jerry Goldsmith score as, as it starts welling on the screen, just hearing that music come together, I couldn't believe it, this was my first chance to see Star Trek on the big screen and it was just a beautiful moment, that overture really just sucked me in and I remember coming out hours later just the happiest Star Trek fan, it was like 10 o'clock at night, I would have been going into primary school the next day, I was so tired, but boy was I excited. You know, that uh, that actually brings up a... I mean, this is outside of Star Trek, and um, I apologize for anyone that's listening or <laughs> who, do, who probably didn't, doesn't want to hear this, but I actually uh, used to live in England, and um, what you're talking about, like, going into the theater, uh, and, and when, when, they, when they say in England, you can't be... You have to be a certain age. You have to be that age because I missed out on going to see Mrs. Doubtfire. So... There you go. I, it, I mean, I was very lucky and relieved that I was, I was able to get in. That a few years later, I always remembered going to see the fifteen-rated X Files and being so worried about this rule that I put on an extra pair of socks so that a, a ten, eleven-year-old me would look fifteen. Thankfully, the village cashier didn't care and let me in. But it's, it, they certainly are tough. That. I remember as well that I opened Star Trek monthly at the time and I always remembered seeing this little picture. It was the first image of the Enterprise E. had the blue deflector dish at the time and I remembered I ran, ran from my house all the way to my best friend's house to show him this picture of the Enterprise E. Like, oh my God, this is it. This is what the new Enterprise is going to look like. We were so excited. We, we couldn't believe it. it. We were just looking at this small image that's no bigger than a, a small kind of thumbnail of this Enterprise. We were, I just couldn't believe it. This was the image and it was just as I was flicking those pages and there it was. It was, it was quite the treat. So, Amy, you were saying there that in 96, you weren't the kind of big Star Trek fan you are for another good few years. What was it that convinced you to go see Star Trek First Contact on the big screen back in those days? Was it, you know, what drew you to the multiplex? Yeah, I've mentioned it before in the Babel conference, but um, my brother is who got me started into Star Trek. And he was huge. Uh, He was in a Star Trek club. You know, and he he's uh, eight years younger than me, and he did the cosplay and went to the you know conventions and everything. And so when first contact was coming out, he's like, "We've got to see it." And by then, I had you know watched a couple of the episodes of Next Generation, and I really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, it was. I went with my brother and the the whole family, and it just you know, I remember sitting in the theater and. Uh, you know, they decide to actually break orders and go to the Borg. And, you know, and when Data says, I think we all agree to go give them hell or whatever said, and the whole audience erupts laughing, laughing and clapping. And, you know, just having that experience, you know, really leaves a mark on you. And so I, I, really am grateful to my brother for bringing me into the Star Trek community. That's a reaction you would never get in a British cinema. It's very rare that I've noticed it when I've been in American cinemas, this kind of the audience participation, the clapping, the whooping and cheering. That's something that's just like a total no-no here in Britain. And if people do that, I kind of sneer at them and I get really annoyed that the cinema here is the equivalent of going to the theatre. You sit down, you shut up and you watch the movie and you pay respect to what's on the screen unless it's say a, a rocky horror audience participation thing it's the the culture clash between britain and america when it comes to to cinemas is is just wildly different 
Mm. Now, we were saying earlier on that uh, 101 Dalmatians was one of the big movies of that month. Actually, it came out the week after First Contact. That First Contact opened on November 22nd in 2,812 theatres, grossing $30.7 million in its first week and went to the top of the box office. And the reviews were very good for this movie, unsurprising for a, an even-numbered Star Trek movie at the time that there was a lot of praise for the action elements, the adventure elements, that it felt more more like a big screen adventure than episodic Star Trek that people were used to at the time that there was a great reaction to the Next Generation cast stepping out of the shadow of the original series. This was the first movie that didn't feature Captain Kirk, Bones, Spock, McCoy, all the, any of the original characters. So there was a lot of pressure going into this movie and... It was a. It went to the number one in the box office and a, a huge success. And yeah, it was definitely was one of the highest rated Star Trek movies ever at that point. It was a top of the box office piling for Star Trek movies at that point in its career before the the JJ Abrams movies came along. So kind of looking back on how we felt in 1996, that we've kind of touched upon one or two of these things that. When you kind of left that cinema, what was your kind of your feeling about this movie? Was it a success? Did you enjoy it? Were you disappointed by it? what was kind of th- those feelings coming out? That was the scores. There were certain scenes that kind of resonated with you. What was your kind of feeling in '96 with this this movie after kind of stepping out the the cinema doors and back into back into the streets? You know, when I first saw the movie, uh, I actually went back into the theater and actually re-saw it again. Um, I want to say I saw it four times in one day because uh, it, for whatever reason, I um, didn't have anything to do um, that day. But uh, <laughs> when I finally um, saw it four times, <laughs> uh, I, I I was amazed. I mean, it was it was a great it was a great movie. Uh, it was the music, like as you were saying, was is perfect for this movie. It captures all the emotions uh, of this new movie without the original series, and it's just, it's. I mean, and, you know, it, it's it's kind of not fair because I'm also a Star Trek fan <laughs> and have been for quite a while uh, back in '96. Um, I think it's, I think I was three years into being a Star Trek fan. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but somewhere around there, less than five. Uh, but yeah, definitely, I was. I, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, who who wouldn't uh, love this movie? <laughs> That's a Star Trek fan that is. <laughs> and Amy, what about yourself? You were kind of the not really the Trekkie that me and Richard were in 1996. How did you feel, kind of coming out of the big screen after? Did was that the moment Star Trek kind of? started to get into your blood obviously a few years before it came to fruition or was it just a, a one-off movie oh that wow that was pretty awesome and can I carry on yeah it was uh very very good I loved um coming out and then discussing the scenes with my brother and going over it again and rehashing the movie and talking about our favorite parts and yeah really um it, it did catapult me in and so then I was watching more Star Trek and um, you know, I was very excited when TNG came out on DVDs and, and then that's when it, I was done and full heart, you know, love Star Trek. And so watching that movie and then just, you know, rehashing it with my family over again, that was the really fun part. And then my brother's pretty knowledgeable. And so he was like, yeah, did you notice this? Did you notice this? And you know, not being as big of a fan as he is, you know, it was really fun to to hear his points, um, you know, the characters and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed it. And the Borg storyline is just so good. Um, and so it it just really is a great movie. I like, um, you were talking about the, the E, and when Lily comes aboard and Picard's going through, well, the ship has this many decks and this large. And, you know, so you're getting another rundown of how the E is different than the D. And I appreciated that part of the movie, too, because it's like, yeah, this is new. This is, you know, breaking away from the series as well because of this and the new ship and the new you know, storyline, basically. So. Had you seen Best of Both Worlds before you saw First Contact? 
I'm sure that I have. Yeah. So when you revisited First Contact, when you you were kind of you were a full fledged fan, you had the uniform, you had the pointy ears. What was your? Did your reaction differ? Was it a movie that was enhanced by being a fan, or was it that you were still able to enjoy this while still being relatively a Star Trek virgin? No, it definitely is enhanced. I think this movie only gets better with age. Um, the the character development, you know, and bringing Worf back, you know, always has its issues because he was on DS Nine and. You know, but in this film, it actually made sense, you know, to, oh, let's save the Defiant, you know, and here's Worf. I thought it was sort of funny. It was like, well, we need someone at Tactical. Really? How many people do you have on the ship? And we're going to, you know, bring Worf back. But, you know, at least there was some reason to bring him back, unlike some other movies that don't give a reason why he's there. But (laughs) so I... Yeah, I definitely was enhanced. And the Borg, you know, at this time, um, this was the enemy, the the main people, you know, species that they couldn't get along with, they couldn't reason with, they couldn't uh, try diplomacy, you know. And with the whole issue with Picard going through it and still sensing them, that opening of the movie is is perfect because you're like, oh my gosh, is he getting to be Borg again? And it's like, oh, it's those implants. And, you know, so it just is a perfect tie-in with Best of Both Worlds and the Borg episodes that are in TNG that just really leads up to it. What about yourself, Richard? What was your your you know, your main takeaway from your first four showings on that one day that the cinema must have seen you come in that day? And um, what what did you kind of step out of the cinema? What what things were you excited about? Maybe frustrated with what parts that kind of got you to go back and see it so many times in that one day? Well, and there was just a lot going on in that movie. Uh, I mean, you had to – you really had to see this movie multiple times in order to capture everything. I mean, obviously we see um, at the Battle of of Sector 001 uh, many new ships that we've never seen uh, in TNG or even DS9. I mean, yeah, we saw the Defiant. But like, there's also uh, starships that like the Steamrunner, the Akura, the uh, the Saber, and obviously the Enterprise E, which is a Sovereign class, and um, it's just, I mean, well, okay. First off, I uh, actually had a, I had a couple of friends that actually um, let me do that, so technically I wasn't supposed to go back and see it four times because th- I cut the line. But <laughs> that's that's not the point. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's not like the it's not like the um, the staff knew me anyway. So, but uh, <laughs> I it, I guess I, I mean I guess really uh, when it comes to like frustrations on the movie, it, I really there wasn't any uh, frustrations early seeing it the first hundred times. Uh, but as as um, as time got as time gone by, and you know it's been twenty years now, uh, probably the thing I really uh, love watching on the movie is the is the battle scenes and um, and maybe the ending is really some. Is, it, I really uh, like cut out the middle part except for when Picard you know kills those two drones with a uh, Tommy machine gun. That's that's awesome. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, really, uh, that's the only pieces that I've been cutting out lately. Uh, when I when I've been watching this movie or have the urge to watch this movie, um, are those I call them boring parts. So, but you know, you know, it's twenty years. I mean, I I, I know I can rec- I can practically recite the movie in my sleep. <laughs> I, I very much feel the same way. This is a movie I could recite in my sleep, and that's something we're conscious to do here today. Is, is that it's kind of really touch on this being a retrospective, as opposed to telling you all about a movie that we all have our own opinions on. After all these twenty years, there's there's very little that we can bring that's new to First Contact, but we can bring our personal experiences and tell tell a wee story of '96 and kind of the retrospect. And for me, my kind of main thing that I kind of took away from my first screening was. This, I always think of First Contact as the, the last Star Trek movie before the internet kicked off that with First Contact it was much harder to get information that I had the trailers and a brief summary of what the movie was about going in on that opening day and I knew little else that 
I looked at this trailer and I was trying to figure out how, how is this all going to pop together and I had this idea that the Enterprise will go back into the past but then it'll go back into the future and that's when it's going to start fighting the Borg ship that the Borg ship's really the battle's going to be the climax of the movie not the first five minutes and I always remembered Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton were um, guests on a kids, a kids TV programme called Live and Kicking in 96 and they encouraged people to call in with questions for the the cast and I remember saying to my dad oh, I'm going to call in and he was like well what's your what's your question going to be son and I went what's the plot of First Contact I just want to know and they went they're not going to tell you that it's going to be a surprise and that's kind of the joy of going into First Contact is we were going in so blind that with so much of these movies these days we're going in with a lot of information we're going in with behind the scenes there's clips available online with First Contact it was really that last of the pre-internet movies where it was so much of it was clouded in mystery the information just wasn't there and that was an excitement um, uh, just want to, to want, just want to let you know also that um, Independence Day actually came out uh, this year as well, and um, by far, I mean when when you're talking about like advertising the movie and keeping it in the secret and everything, when and I, I was on the six hundred two club with uh, with Matt talking about in, uh, Independence Day when it came and also Bruce as well. Uh, don't want to forget uh, I mentioned him as well, um, and the advertising for that movie was so. I mean, I, I mean, for me, I wasn't like I said. I was only well at that time. I was thirteen, not fourteen, because my birthday's in August. Um, it, it was. It felt like it was so convincing that oh my god, aliens are gonna are gonna invade our um, planet, and now we're gonna see this movie for whatever reason. To, you know, and it's just it was just it was so amazing on the advertiser program that or I'm sorry, advertising uh, campaign that they had for uh, Independence Day. And it was exactly the same thing for maybe not as in depth but as Independence Day, but it was the same thing for first contact where we had no idea what was going on. Uh, I mean we didn't even know we were going to get a new ship. <laughs> so Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I always remember thinking that my one another big takeaway for me with First Contact was it felt like a it felt like a big screen movie. The sets, whereas every, like when you saw Generations, it still felt very televisual. Whereas the lighting and the sets had somewhat changed. That they were still in those kind of the next generation uniforms we were used to the Deep Space Nine jumpsuits. It was the sort of same sets, the same ships. It felt quite cheap, televisual. It was on a budget. Whereas with this movie, it felt like an awesome, a real-life bridge. You had a ship that looked impressive and still does. That you had action that was big and exciting and engaging. You had scope and scale that was really missing from generations. And, and that was amazing to see a Star Trek movie on that scale that whereas you know a lot of the original series, Star Trek movies, we, we think they're they're quite big in a lot of ways, but they were still really done on a budget. This felt like the first Star Trek movie with a lot of money put behind it. Um, I think it was uh, didn't they, uh, or at least I remember reading it was like thirty eight million for generations and then forty eight million for first contact. I think that's what it was. Forty six. Was it forty six? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I did. I do want to touch one more thing, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to trump Amy or anyone else here, but those uniforms are freaking immaculate. I I can't even tell you how much I love. The first contact uh, uniform. I mean that gray, and then you got that. Uh, you got your branch, or well, uh, division. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's just. It, I mean, it's. I mean, and you know, call me a sucker for uh, for uniforms, but uh, I also love military uniforms. It's it's just it's very it's a very clean look, and it's just appropriate for. Um, well, it, funny enough, it you know, Deed Space Nine adopted the uniform as well. So, in um, well, unfortunately, Voyager couldn't, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, like I, I totally agree. It was the uniforms really impressed me, and they're actually one of my favorite uniforms. That I keep thinking, oh, I'm going to buy myself a uniform for some cosplay event or whatever. But if I was going to buy one, it would be one of the TNG ones, either the TV series or the movie. Maybe the scan. I'm not too sure. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> What about you, Amy? Are you going to buy a uniform too? Yes, I most definitely. Uh, I will be going to the uh, Las Vegas convention in next August since it will be the 30 for TNG and 
definitely going to cosplay. I've already found it, and yeah, it's the first contact uniform. On brand as well. You you really are showing loyalty to your new co-hosting show. (laughs) So let's kind of jump to, if anyone's... uh, uh, does anyone have any last points that they want to talk about of their reactions and feelings in 1996? Uh, no. No, I mean, uh, I, uh, you know, one thing uh, that we see that, uh, or one thing to mention is also that, you know, obviously we, um, you know, we see Ethan Phillips, you know, a little tie into the little Voyager as well as the EMH doctor, uh, Robert Ricardo. And um, really, that's all I got. Yeah, that, that I mean, was an amazing amazing kind of surprise walking into the cinema that day was the cameo of Robert Picardo it was awesome very much so I swear I don't know how to use one of these (laughs) (laughs) so let's go forward 20 years let's get a bit grayer a bit older a bit chubbier a bit more seasoned so looking back now on 1996 that this movie's 20 years old and it doesn't feel like it to me. It only feels like yesterday that young Lee Hutchison went to see this movie. Looking back, what do you think of Star Trek First Contact now? Richard, do you know want to take us off from here? Um, yeah. Uh, well, first off, we have Blu-ray. <laughs> I mean, it's no longer in VHS. I actually... Um, I'm glad Amy. Or, um, uh, well, Amy was talking about the DVD, and I'm like, no, I think it was VHS back then, and I still had the VHS somewhere around this house. Um, but uh, looking through it, you know, I feel kind of spoiled because I mean, we can watch it at any time. I mean, it, it's you know, thinking about it back in 1996, we had to wait for it, we had to be patient, and. Uh, you know, being actually surprised in the movie is was is is now take is taken for granted because, like you said, you know, internet spoils the whole entire thing. I mean, basically, we already knew what was going on and beyond. And uh, I, I don't know about the the first uh, Kelvin timeline uh, movie, <laughs> but it's just. I mean, look at it now. I mean, it's st- it's still a great movie. I I actually just watched it uh, not too long ago, uh, actually today, and it's still that fun adventure that it was back then. But I mean, like I said, you know, if it was a new movie today, I mean, it would probably gotten spoiled through the, I mean, all over the internet, plastered all over YouTube. <laughs> and what about yourself, Amy? How how do you feel twenty years on from from First Contact? First Contact is my go-to movie and I don't want any hate mail but Nemesis 2 those are my two favorite uh, next gen movies and I can just watch it over and over again it still resonates I love the characters the action is good I just am so still surprised that it's like well what am I in the mood for and it's always first contact that comes to my mind I'm like I just watched that well okay I'm gonna watch it again it's such I can watch it over and over again and not get bored with it that's why I was surprised boring parts of the movie no there are no boring parts of the movie I love each and every part of it I can't even think of what part is boring so um it just it really holds up to me I think the storyline is good um Picard's story is just so good because you know his history with the series and you know bringing in uh captain ahab and revenge and you know again that star trek does so well it just makes star trek uh, it makes first contact live on and it doesn't matter how many years it was between when it came out and now to me it will always be one of my favorites yeah like there's two points i definitely want to pick up from what you guys said that i remembered me and my friend had this huge debate there was two vhs that were released of star trek first contact here in the uk we had the the normal edition with the movie poster and then we had this cardboard edition where you saw picard as a borg you saw data with half his face melted off and it was it had like a little hologram inside and me and him were debating that he was going to get the cardboard edition. And I was like, but what happens if you get caught in the rain? The box might damage and you might not be able to watch the video. So ch- change days from, from you know, uh, collecting uh, home video. And one thing I would always say is that it's definitely one of my go-to movies. And some of my favourite memories 
aren't just kind of associated with the film, but the soundtrack. And I've had, you know, I live in Scotland and I'm surrounded by some of the most beautiful scenery in the world, the Glen Coves, the beautiful misty Scottish mountains that could be pulled from Lord of the Rings. And when we go on kind of road trips, one of the go-to songs that we play as we, as we glide through these roads, through these big mountains, through history itself, is playing that First Contact overture that I've driven around Loch Lomond, I've gone through the mountains used in Skyfall and Star Trek First Contacts Overture by Jerry Goldsmith has played it and it's really elevated that drive to more than something more than just a drive but to something truly special and that's what it may be the soundtrack to a movie about fighting the Borg and making First Contact but it's been the soundtrack to some beautiful memories for myself and I've had conversations before with my girlfriend where she's gone, if I, if we go down the aisle, that would be the song that I would want to go down the aisle to. If I die tomorrow, that would be the song that I would like as my cast gets rolled in. The soundtrack has been really the biggest legacy for me. And I, I was so privileged to go to the Ultimate Voyage last year. Um, we had, it was a whole day trip all the way to London. We had to get accommodation, flights, trains, planes, automobiles to go see it. And we were like, it was it was the first day of this tour, so we had no idea of the set list, no idea whatsoever. And I remembered we went in, we got the program, and I opened up, and I'm looking through the set list, and I immediately I think, oh my god, first contact's not there. And then I notice it, first contact's on there. And to be so close to the orchestra as that overture swells and evokes so many memories of the past and present for me was such a powerful experience. And while the movie is incredible, I truly think that this soundtrack is going to be something that I always go to and will always evoke special memories. It's probably one of the most played songs ever on my iPod. Well, Lee, you're lucky because I can't even get my fiance, who we're getting married next year, to change the centerpiece for the Truck FM table to uh, a Calto um, <laughs> centerpiece. I mean, I <laughs> I convinced her to uh, uh, have the groomsmen uh, have like insignias for the different uh, uh, like operations, command, and uh, science, but. That's it. <laughs> You're lucky. Yeah, I've got I've got a trekkie girlfriend, and I, I mentioned it on a, another podcast I do. And um, we did our, our first podcast together this weekend. We spoke about when her first contact experience. Anyway, she would have her on here, not me. She was there was a Scottish premiere of Star Trek: First Contact, and she was able to, thanks to her dad's amazing blagging abilities, go to the Scottish premiere of First Contact, where she got to meet Alice Creek, James Cromwell, Gates McFadden was there, and in our living room on one of our shelves is the ticket to that Star Trek First Contact premiere that the closest thing I've got to a Star Trek First Contact premiere is I've got the brochure guide to the London premiere where it was talking about the movie and the cast that were going to be there that day so kind of First Contact is probably the movie we've watched together the most and well I can tell you it's an amazing movie that I, I, all the amazing things that I love about watching it the the legacy with the, the, the film and you know people have discussed this movie to death over 20 years but that's the stuff that is the personal stuff the, the memories of of seeing First Contact for the first time, a Star Trek movie on the big screen. My dad taking me all this way, and it was early December before we got in the UK, taking me all the way, you know, a, a kind of 70 mile round trip just to take me and my friend to the cinema, despite the fact he wasn't a Star Trek fan. Those are kind of memories that have me here on Earl Grey today. That Star Trek, first, Star Trek The Next Generation has been a cornerstone of my, you know, past 23 years. and. First Contact has been one of the key moments in that throughout, whether it's the score, whether it's going to see this film. It's something that's so special to me. So, kind of, what do you feel in the grand scheme of, here we are, this is Star Trek's 50th anniversary this year. What's First Contact's legacy within that 50 years? What, what Do we feel that if there's no First Contact, there's no Star Trek Enterprise? Do we feel that with if First Contact wasn't a success, that would that have been the last of the Next Generation movies? Would the Borg have gone on to be such a big kind of presence in Star Trek Voyager? In the grand scheme of things, what's Star Trek First Contact's legacy within Star Trek? Not just our, with ourselves, which we've kind of discussed, but within Star Trek. 
Well, um, I mean, aside from the uniform, obviously that changed uh, throughout that changed in the um, in the middle of DS Nine. Uh, yeah, for sure, there will be no Enterprise. Uh, I mean, because we really at that point we really didn't know the story of Zephyr and Cochran. I mean, we see him in the original series, but that's really all about we we see of him, and we don't. I don't even think there was anything really mentioned to uh, mentioned about him or at least details about the first um uh, warp drive than just snippets here and there i mean do you guys remember anything um like that um yeah he's mentioned in the this is when we need zach moore and uh, ken trip here that he, he is brought up in an episode and we do meet him that he has traveled to this planet in the original series and he's he's set up base there um, and he's kind of i believe he has achieved kind of young life or continued life I, I can't remember it's been so long since I've seen that episode but yeah uh, Zephyrin Cochran um, first appeared in the original series well but at that time he was an older man um, as well I mean because I'm assuming uh, the Federation was already formed by the time no the Federation yeah, was yeah the Federation what, what, was I, I, formed yeah because um, he had travelled to I, I can't, this is the, my, my total kind of fandom has just deserted me here but yeah he had travelled to this planet and he had achieved something that kind of kept him in this kind of as a kind of relatively you know still you know he should have been more than a hundred plus years and probably should have been in a coffin but he on this planet that he was able to achieve kind of longer life and yeah Zach Moore Cantrip SOS where are you guys but yes that that was kind of all we really knew of Zephyr and Cochran was probably tied into that and kind of Star Trek encyclopedias and footnotes yeah, I completely forgot about that. Uh, yeah, because I'm basing off my knowledge on uh, Enterprise, and you know, uh, obviously the first episode we see him um, uh, uh, of Zephyr Cocker, and he's he's an older man, but we don't know how old either. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, but I mean, for sure, uh, I, I mean, first contact left an impression for all of Star Trek from there on out. Uh, or at least it's, and I'm, and I'm sure, especially the books as well, uh, that it. Uh, we we just needed that foundation of how it all started. So, well, and we wouldn't have that uh, the Enterprise opening scene, right? Where the oh, the Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah, the Phoenix is taking off. I mean, that's such a wonderful clip and such a good, you know, a segue from where we are getting from there to here. And so, I really like that clip. That and the Enterprise uses it very well. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I think for me that it's, it's legacy that, yeah, we've touched upon it there, Enterprise, that I think it really was a statement of intent for Star Trek movies. This was like big budget Star Trek movies in the grand scheme of things. And for me, I think its biggest legacy is its message that Star Trek a lot of what we think of Star Trek's message, yeah, we kind of talk about it. Oh, it's all about that kind of inclusion, about the world, hope, working together, bringing nations together. But a lot of that was talk, and a lot of that was we saw how it was a success in the future. But we went back to a point in Earth's history that had really ever been seen or touched upon, and we got to see how that that generated, how the Star Trek we know or originated what was that first meeting like the vulcans like what was earth like in that position period in history who was the the man that led earth out of the dark ages that you know famine disease hunger was all wiped out by this man's you know legacy and i think it's one of the most human star trek movies as well that we look at this movie and we think about a lot of the powerful things that Lily, Zephram Cochran, they see that like Earth is just this small place. It's almost so insignificant in the world that a Vulcan ship's just going to pass by and it doesn't care about this. But Earth is about to take a big step into the future. And it was so close to not happening. And that's always one of those things you think about in life, those regrets that we have, that if they hadn't done, if taken that warp ship flight at that moment, Earth wouldn't have been the same life wouldn't have been the same and it's it's inspiring to to reach for those stars it's it's brilliant to see what that moment was like before star trek began 
what was it like? And that's something that's real inspiring. You you can talk and show this amazing future where everyone's working together, but sometimes you've got to show where that sprung from to really appreciate what you've got now, what the message is. And that moment where kind of Picard says to, uh, to Lily, I truly am jealous of you, that I envy the mission, the world you're about to, to see unfold. And that's something as fans as well, that that world began to unfold 30 years ago. And it's a beautiful tribute to Star Trek at 30 at the time. And I think that's its biggest message to take away of what it is to be truly human and to, to live in this universe. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, they did the uh, origin show before origin movies were popular, you know, and uh, it is true. And that's, I just, this week with my students, I'm a teacher, and uh, what what is so great about Star Trek? And isn't it like Star Wars? And I'm like, no, it is not. Let me tell you why. And that's always where I start. It's like, Star Trek, this is where we could be. You know, and I get it's science fiction. Don't get me wrong. I'm not confused. But, you know, it is someplace where we could end up going. You know, who knows? But it's our timeline. It's our potential future. And who's to say that it's not going to happen? And that that we have that ability. I mean, even if we can dream it, then hopefully it can become real. And to not have the money and, you know, and to not have the disease and, you know, that that's where we can end up going. And yeah, how would it be to to be there at that time? And that is definitely envious of Lily and, and Cochran there. Um, it's, it, it is what makes, in my opinion, Star Trek and Star Trek philosophy. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's that message of hope that you don't get with other movies that, I think that it's been really. It was really summed up in a, a tweet I saw a few weeks ago that you know we write this in a, a time when America's elected Donald Trump, when we're living in a kind of new world where there's a lot of fear and worry in the world, and. People, I saw a tweet by Jordan Huffman who does the Engage podcast where he put a picture up of that first contact and he went, 47 years, only 47 more years. And I think that regardless of what people believe, that people can look at this moment and we we live in a world where people all feel uncertain. We're worried about our place in the world that young people feel disenfranchised, older people feel unhappy with the way the world's going, people are struggling to get on the the job the job market. It seems like nations are constantly warring with each other. But 47 more years is one of those moments that if you're a Star Trek fan, you think, you know what, life isn't great, but there's this idea that in maybe 47 years' time, that could be us. We could be taking brave new steps into a kind of united future where we put behind all our petty differences, where we put behind ideologies, and we start to work together. And that's something that's pretty special that people can tap into, whether it's watching the movie, whether it's talking with friends, going, maybe in 47 more years, that could be us. Maybe things seem bad now, but maybe in that 47 years, things just might be a bit better. Maybe that Star Trek reality doesn't seem so far away when we think that's maybe a lifetime away, but it's something. that's a star that we can reach. Definitely. And I like, again, going back to Picard, it's like, you know, yeah, he's been living with this federation ideal of no money no disease you know but yet still he ends up being flawed and you know getting that revenge and getting back the borg for what they did to him um so i think that it still captures humanity without being you know so over the top perfect world you know i think it's it does a really good job of bringing those two together that yeah we could still be in the future and have accomplished so much but there still is more to do for humanity what about yourself richard Uh, <laughs> um, I, I get where you guys are coming from, and uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of on the opposite end when it comes to the utopia uh, society. But because uh, I can't imagine the world without uh, 
um, with without currency or I, I mean to be to be quite honest uh, for me it's uh, uh, trying trying to be more PR about this <laughs> but like it, it's just it, it's uh, I, I, I don't buy it. I mean, when it comes to, I mean, this will be on another episode, but uh, I, I don't buy it. Uh, the Utopia uh, Society. I mean, I, I, I get it. It's amazing. It's just not. Um, I can't see it um, because I mean, everyone has to have drive. Uh, everyone, uh, is, there's goals that uh, need to be uh, uh, reached for some people to be even successful. Because honestly. I mean, so if we were going to talk about uh, after first contact, and then of course, let's say uh, Zephyr Cochran's uh, warp drive goes public uh, to every nation in the world, which I would assume it would, and it wouldn't be uh, strictly just with the United States. I could see lots of competition from every country in the world that's still remaining after World War III, um, and on top of that, uh, it, it, it's just. Lots of I, I I would for me it would be for me I wouldn't think that the Vulcans would uh, really stay with us after that only because of our warring uh, well uh, at that time uh, our warring uh, you know nature at that time because we obviously just got out of a war war uh, nuclear war and basically almost destroyed ourselves and you know I, I mean. I just don't buy it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to be a negative Nancy because I know this is the 30th, this is the 20th anniversary uh, uh, for uh, uh, first contact. But since we were talking about the Utopia uh, uh, society and how Picard was, uh, uh, how how he is now. I mean, because I mean he's considered flawless, and then obviously he changes throughout the seasons in D and G, and then of course we see him how angry he gets because yeah, I mean he was violated and um, by the Borg. And definitely wasn't. Uh, uh, I mean, he, yeah, like I said, he was violated by the Borg. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't buy it. I'm sorry. So, do you think? Do you feel the same way, Amy? Do you think the the legacy of First Contact, this kind of utopia, is something that's going to happen? That do you think First Contact's legacy is strictly as just an, a great piece of entertainment, not perhaps as a a stepping stone to a, a brighter future? Well, I think it. what First Contact does is, I mean, because we've been living with this uh, Federation idealism of, you know, no money and no, no disease and what have you, of just, you know, exploring oneself and exploring the stars. I mean, we've been living with that for all of Star Trek. And so what I think First Contact does is shows that how that could take place of, oh, well, I mean, think about when we were put, sending a man to the moon. I mean, amongst all that was going on between Russia and the U.S., but people came together and it seemed like, I mean, I wasn't alive then, but you hear about how the whole world sort of just came together to put people on the moon. And I think that has that beginning of, okay, well, now we're really not alone and what is out there, and that can uh, take away those petty things of money and, you know, stuff like that, that, yeah, we could really go on to explore, and it gives you something greater than just your own menial little life. And so I, I do, I do think that it is possible, and I like that First Contact shows that, um, you know, through, well, we just, I mean, I hope we don't go through World War Three and the destruction of everything, major cities and everything, but, you know, for us to happen. But you see that after World War II that, you know, people are coming together and trying to rebuild. And I think it's during that rebuilding time. Um, I mean, I can even look in my own personal life where, yeah, destruction has happened and and so I have to rebuild what's going on in my life. And you get a lot accomplished, and you sometimes accomplish more than what you even thought was possible. And so I do, I like the idea of it, and I do have the hope that we can achieve that. And I think that's the key thing as well, that we can have kind of like Richard there, that we can have our belief that 
this maybe just isn't this isn't going to be happening that's just not realistic but maybe just the hope that the hope that when people are feeling down feeling unhappy with the way the world's going that there's that hope that that this there's this idea that that's that kind of what separates star trek from star wars that star wars is escapist entertainment star trek's just that hope of a better world we that's the kind of world we dream that maybe we're gonna get there maybe our we're gonna have to stand on the shoulders of some other generations to get there but there's a hope that that's something that seems tangible that seems realistic that one day that could be us and i think we all kind of hope that we can be lily one day that we while we feel that the world's not that great we're cynical we think that people that are coming to help us perhaps aren't that maybe being shown a brighter way a shining star like picard and this vision for the future can you know just make us feel a bit more hopeful and sometimes that's all you need you know if you don't have hope then what do you have we may not achieve it in our lifetimes but i like to hope that we'll get there someday and i may not get there but maybe my future generations will get there and that's that gives me a bit of happiness for the future i think well, I mean, and, and to bring you know to bring back to what um, what I was saying, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, knocking on the whole uh, utopia uh, society. Uh, it's just that with this movie, uh, so we're, if we're going to talk about just about this movie and you know its impact, is that yeah, it, this movie is about hope. Uh, it's definitely one of those movies where yeah, it's a it's a feel good movie. Yeah, there's action and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, uh, the real uh, the real key to this movie is more about you know it, yeah we could I mean it may not be the utopia that Star Trek um, we've seen so far at this point um, is. Uh, is, a, is is what the world's going to actually be. I mean, obviously it, it it would be different, but I mean, I'm just saying like uh, this this is a you know a hope. Uh, I mean, after all the tragedy that that happened uh, with World War Three and and uh, and whatnot and you know, eugenics wars and it, it it's just all that tragedy happens, and then this is able to happen and it, st- it basically sparks the next golden age for or or even the first golden age if you want to consider you know previous history as a golden age, um, but like definitely a golden age of humanity and um it, even this sector of the uh, of the galaxy so yeah it, it certainly opens up a lot of debate and i think that's something that's exciting about this movie that we can have a debate and discussion like this that we perhaps can't get with some of the the other movies about a vision about a about hope and that's something that i think that we're going to hopefully touch upon in earl gray is the hope the the vision of Star Trek The Next Generation and hopefully these kind of discussions are going to be a staple of the kind of exciting times we're going to have together and hopefully the listeners will will enjoy these as much as we've enjoyed them tonight I hope so, yeah (laughs) So does anyone have any final points they'd like to make before we start to wrap up? Yeah, really it's uh, more I mean, the stuff that I wrote while I was watching First Contact was more technical than anything else like there was a, I don't know if you guys noticed it when when they first initially show the Defiant, um, when it maneuvers right, it bumps. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, and I was thinking it was like maybe that they did that because of TOS. I don't know. <laughs> and Adam, do any of you actually know who the helmsman is on the Defiant? No. I see his face, but I don't know it's who. It's Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation. He's in Step Brothers as well. Yep. Oh wow! He plays, oh, I don't watch he it. He plays Ben Wyatt in Parks and Recreation, who's a huge Star Trek fan, and he gets to be on the bridge of the Defiant. I love hearing stuff like that. There you go. So next time you watch First Contact, if you like Parks and Recreation and comedies and stuff like that, that's Ben Wyatt, Star Trek fan. He writes. I've never he seen writes that Star Trek either. fan fiction. <laughs> he writes Star yeah. Trek fan fiction and Parks and Recreation. So yeah, it's wonderful <laughs> that he's uh, he's on that bridge. First Contact's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's what's been happening on all our other amazing shows. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Don't watch any of the extras on the first disc because they're all duplicated over the second disc. So then that way you can just watch them in order and not have to worry about, oh, well, let me skip this one because I watched it on the first disc and do all that. Wait, to clarify, they have all the special features in column A on one disc. And then all the special features of column A plus column B on a second disc? That is correct. That makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> I know, 
was, I was very confused when I sat down to watch it. Melodic tricks. Matter? I bury nowhere. Oh, it's painful. I don't know. You no, snowing me? Not. You snowing like, me? Just saying Remus and blah blah. I felt myself falling asleep. I felt like it was my parents were telling me a good night story where you were giving me that track listings there. That like does it still I mean, McFly? That's oh. that's one of my favorite ones. Stage nine, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. Within about. 15 seconds you texted me back Dr. Giggles we have to do Dr. Giggles and my question for you is yes why did we absolutely have to do Dr. Giggles Saturday morning trek And all these things just brought in more and more people who thought they were alone, and they found each other, and they made their clubs, and they then they made conventions, and that just that's what the '70s were about: was getting Star Trek back and finding each other. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com forward slash Trek.fm, that's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash trek fm you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you these perks include early access to content exclusive content producer credits seats on our content development team and more we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team again you'll find all the details at patreon.com forward slash trek fm We've uh, got an exciting opportunity for once the UK fans to potentially win a wee prize. If you leave us a five-star review in the iTunes UK store, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win not one, but two of the amazing Eagle Moss Starship collection models. You'll win a Bajoran Interceptor and the Warp Delta Starship. Admittedly, none of them are TNG, but hey, you can't argue with a free couple of starships. So if you leave us a five-star review before the end of the year in the UK iTunes store, please send us a message on Facebook or Twitter or to the Contact Us section on uh, Track FM. Let us know that you've left a review. I'll be able to see them as well in the UK iTunes store, and we'll do a raffle at the end of the year, a New Year special, to let you know who's won the prize that... I know as a listener of Trek FM that a lot of these prizes, it's always for the American audience. We've got to reward our UK fans. So get in, get leave a review in the UK iTunes store and you could win the chance of these two amazing Eagle Moss models that have got a cash value of 20 quid. And that's something you can't complain about. That's a, that's a late Christmas present you might get yourself in the new year. So please leave us a five-star review in the UK iTunes store. It would mean so much to us. And, you know, it's something that the former host as well will be able to see as well. That, yeah, get please, please leave a review. It would mean so much and get a chance to be in this prize draw. So... Richard, where can people get in contact with you on the internet if they want to add this new Trek FM host to who they follow on the internet and find out what they do in their spare time and what they think about Star Trek? Well, um, just like many of the other hosts, everyone, uh, everyone can fo- um, follow me in the Babel Conference. I pop in here and there. And I'm e- even on Twitter. My handle is xransom. What about yourself, Amy? If people wanted to find out how you're getting on, want to get in touch with you, tell you what an amazing job you've been doing here on Trek FM, where can people get in contact with you? Well, I also am on Twitter. I got on Twitter specifically because of Star Trek fandom. And so you can find me. My handle is Miss Amy Nelson. And I, of course, love checking into the Babel Conference and post pictures and make comments all the time. So I'd love to talk to you there. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter as well, at Lee underscore Nostromo. You can find me at Star Trek VHS, my dedicated Star Trek Twitter account to Star Trek VHS artwork, because why not? And you can find me on another podcast, Filibuster, where I also sometimes talk about Star Trek a bit more broadly than Next Generation and other geek and pop culture topics. So yeah, 
what an amazing first experience this has been for me to to talk Star Trek with you guys for more than 15 minutes on a from there to here. I, I don't know about you, but I'm so excited to go on this journey with the two of you. And I hope this has been worth the wait for the listeners. I know how much they're anticipating this episode. So no pressure, eh, guys? Yeah, no pressure. No, not at all. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully you can join us each and every week where we'll be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. And we'd love to hear your comments in the Babel Conference that while we have a great time recording these episodes, sometimes the fun of it is being able to see the comments you guys leave. What's your views on Star Trek The First Contact? What are your reflections on its 20-year legacy? And let us know about some ideas you've maybe got for some future episodes of Earl Grey. We'd love to get you involved and hear some of your ideas and it might inspire some episode discussion and we you know we are very conscious that we're going to be you know hosting Earl Grey as Star Trek the Next Generation prepares to celebrate its 30th anniversary and I think there's going to be so many fun topics for us to discuss so please share some of your ideas with us your feedback your views on this episode it will really mean a lot to us we will do our best to engage with it and you know let you know what we think as well and thank you for listening and join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey mm-hmm.